B2B has the potential to be electrifying. But the industry is paralysed by a culture of conservatism. Scared stiff in a straitjacket of rational ideas. It's time for change. It's time to make B2B marketing visceral. Join us as we uncover and explore the truth with leading B2B marketers. This is B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. Hello and welcome to B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. I'm Benedict and today I'm joined by Melton Littlepage, who is CMO at Outreach. Melton, a very, very warm welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Benedict. It's awesome to be here with you today. Likewise. Now, I obviously won't do it justice in terms of giving a brief precy of your CV. So the floor is yours if you wanted to give a brief introduction and just tell us a bit about yourself. So I'm a chief marketing officer at Outreach. Outreach is a sales execution platform that helps uh, reps and teams uh, boost seller productivity to create and close more pipeline. This is my uh, my fourth time leading marketing as a, a CMO of growth technology companies. And in addition to that, I am an evangelist and, and sort of a, a maven for sales and marketing technology. That's fantastic to um, and interesting to hear. I think it's always nice when people have that passion in terms of being an evangelist. And certainly when I've met people who are within that sort of area and have that evangelical sort of spirit, um, I always find it a really, really um, interesting, potentially a steep learning curve um, for me uh, in terms of learning about how technology really is transforming those industries. Now, today, we're going to be talking about a topic which I think is getting increasing prominence, and it's definitely very, very important within B2B, and that's the understanding of the B2B buyer journey. Now, how I'd like to sort of kick things off, um, Melton, is with a provocative truth. And from my perspective, and these are my observations, of course, that the B2B buyer journey has almost got so complicated now the marketers don't really understand it and they don't really understand how they can best build strategies which respond to that and actually effectively engage their buyers. Now, do you think that's something you agree with? Well, I'm surprised with the number of both marketing and sales leaders that haven't really caught on to the fact that we're just in a new era of, of B2B sales. It's an entirely new buying process and, uh, and it's a new journey that we, we need to align to and support or really struggle as a business. So from your perspective, how, how has the buyer journey changed? If we'd look at it maybe over a three to five year type sort of spectrum, what are the key differences that you've observed? Yeah, there's been several. So we commissioned a study, we partnered with Forrester to really go out and understand what is changing in the buyer's journey. And we came away with some really big ahas. The first is um, our, our buyers are shifting towards a digital buyer's journey. During COVID, um, most buyers learned that they could make purchases, large, medium, small. They could, they could buy complex solutions without ever meeting face-to-face -face with the seller. And in fact, they could self-serve a lot of their needs and then get what they needed through digital channels, more through um, Zoom meetings or team meetings, more through uh, back and forth exchanges of assets which really put the buyer in control. Now that the buyer is in control of the sales cycle, even though business is returning to the office, the buyer is not giving that control back to mm -hmm. sales reps. And so they have a new confidence. They have a proven track record of being able to lead complex purchases from a distance. That's never going to change. So I think that's the first big fundamental shift. And, uh, and the second is, our buying groups are different than they were even three years ago and for sure five years ago. 
two things are driving that. The first is the generational shift of our buyer. The um, Just through demographics, what we're seeing is the millennials, which are, are like the, 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 the oldest uh, age range of the millennials, that's early 40s. Millennials are actually making up about 50% of buyers in B2B purchases today. Millennials just behave differently than they do their, their Gen X uh, counterparts, right? I, I'm I'm a part of the Gen X generation. Like I, I, I drove a car, went to college. I got married before I had my first iPhone. Like I'm, I, I lived and sold in an analog world. Millennials uh, by and large, and especially when you get into Gen Z, they are they are on social media before they're in you know um, uh, advanced school and for sure before they are out in the business world and so they are they're used to collaboration and they're used to digital interactions and they're used to uh, consensus in making decisions in ways that they're uh, the older generations aren't so as they move up in the ranks from you know a a staff employee to a manager to a director decision maker on b2b purchases they just approach those purchases differently and more collaboratively and and so we end up with larger buying committees and we end up with buying committees that want to do more diligence and more research and they want to have those interactions take place digitally not in person and so all of that combined is creating a completely different buying environment that a seller has to adapt to and so if you have if you've made it to president's club if you've been a mm -hmm. successful seller hitting your quota for 20 or 25 years you're not equipped to sell in this market you're not equipped to sell to this buyer this buyer behaves differently from the buyer you've trained yourself on in your career and the same goes for marketing if you've been marketing for for 20 years if you've worked your way up so that you're leading content marketing or you're leading demand generation or you're leading product marketing and you're used to telling stories to a buyer where you could control the flow of information and you could control uh, exactly what they saw to position yourself in the highest uh, esteem and, and deposition your competitors. Well, that world doesn't exist anymore either. The buyers have access to so much information, including mm -hmm. third parties that have bought from you and your competitors, that they can assemble the story themselves and they don't rely on you for the pieces. And and so if and they and if you're dishonest with them or not forthcoming, they sense that in a heartbeat. So uh, it's a new buyer. Yeah, this new buyer behaves differently, uh, and and the people that are now in leadership roles who develop their careers selling to the old buyer are the ones that are going to struggle the most. Now, I, I can't resist the temptation to be a bit Arthur Miller here, but does this mean the death of the salesman? No, not at all. It means the change of the salesman. So. Like the uh, the problems that companies face now are are as hard as they've ever been. What they need from a sales rep is a problem solver. They need to be able to have a partner where they can have an open exchange of information and say, this is my situation. This is the job I need to get done or the problem I need to solve. And I am looking for a partner to help me. Please bring a solution to the table. That's what they want from a sales rep that's what actually what they want from marketing too is help me understand how to get this job done or how to solve this problem like mm -hmm. don't sell me a product because if you sell me a product then the onus is on me the buyer to figure out how to apply the product to mm -hmm. fix my problem they they want the solution to the problem or they want the job 
to be done. They don't want to have to put the pieces together themselves. And so buyers need to tune into that and go from selling product or selling a generic service to truly solving problems to win in this market. I think that it's also, um, I mean, I think it's something that I think probably within B2B, there's been a, a bit of an awareness, um, probably dating back, you know, five, six, maybe seven years when that infamous, and it's almost become a bit of an urban myth because no one quite knows whether it's true. That stat came out, I think, from serious decisions, which said that the B2B buyer is 70% away through the buying journey before they contact a salesperson. Now, whether or not that is true, I think is a little bit open to debate, but that certainly is indicative of, of the trend. Now, so from your perspective, what can brands do? And when I say brands, I mean both the marketing teams and also potentially the sales teams to make sure that they are engaging and influencing prospective um, buyers earlier on in that process, almost before it is too late and they are reaching out to a salesperson. So uh, Forrester's insight, I think, is 100% spot on. Mm. Uh, if anything, buyers are getting farther down mm. the buying cycle before wanting to engage with sales reps. And, and so one of marketing's jobs is to get the their sales rep, the counterpart uh, in their organization, into deals earlier. And so something mm. that, that I think is a a major advancement in marketing today that most B2B sellers that are selling you know, uh, larger, more complicated solutions that have a longer selling cycle or a longer buying cycle. They need to they need to bring in technology that allows them to see the uh, formation of a new project or the formation of a new buying committee uh, early. So, intent the market calls that intent signals, and there's solutions that that identify intent signals like a uh, six sense or demand base or Bombora. Mm -hmm. And and having a, an early insight that a buyer is doing research anonymously below the radar, they're they're not raising their hand and becoming a marketing lead on a website. They're not uh, attending a marketing webinar. They're not responding to marketing emails, but they are all over the marketing website anonymously in review sites and competitor sites, and they're asking for best practices from uh, you know, uh, notable content sources, the intent tools can find those signals and surface them. They can't tell you who in the company has started a purchase process, but they can tell you a company has started a purchase process. And so very good marketers are finding those intent signals and forming a intent response play and they put that in the hands of the sales team that they partner with, either give it to uh, business development representatives or give it straight to sales representatives and say, it's this account that is looking to solve this type of problem, showing these types of intent signals. You need to go find the likely suspects who would be leading a project like that. And you need to reach out to them and keep reaching out to them persistently until you find the project. And if you do that hard work, you're going to get in first. You're going to get in while that company is ideating, while they are trying to figure out what is the best way to solve this problem? What are the alternatives to solve mm -hmm. this problem? And if you can get in at that point, then you can shape their entire perception about the, the um, way other companies have solved that, the use of your technology or product or service in that. And you can actually hold their hand through the buying process. And when you do that, you're going to win most of those deals, not all of them, but you're going to win a lot more than you lose. If you don't do that and your competitor does, 
then you're going to get invited into a purchase process that has already been shaped and manipulated mm -hmm. by your competitor. You're going to get in late. You're going to put in a huge amount of effort, think you have a chance to win. When in reality, you really don't. No, it's, I mean, it's incredibly powerful. Uh, I mean, I, I've got familiarity uh, with Bombora um, and I'm so I'm, I'm aware of um, things like demand base as, as well. And the, the the potential there is really, really significant, um, especially as you've described, you know, to be able to relay that message to your sales team and say, look, you need to profile who's most likely to be interested within that organization. Let's go for them. I'd also be interested to hear your opinion on what do you think is the optimal role of marketing within that equation? So we've got sales and they can be very, very targeted, but how can marketing be part of the solution, equipping sales either with content or actually doing more of an account-based marketing approach and you know targeting that account more, more generally? What would you like to see the sort of the role of marketing within that equation? Yeah, so um, so let's go back to the Forrester, mm -hmm. the, the thesis that Forrester lays out that 70% of the buying cycle occurs before mm. an organization wants to work with sales. Mm. Uh, well, marketing owns that first 70%. And so it, it starts from uh, positioning the product or service of the B2B company, positioning that as a solution to a problem or the answer to here's how you do, here's how you get jobs done. Mm. Uh, and so we have to get, we as marketers have to get past product marketing in 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 marketing features and we have to get to helping customers solve their problems because customers want to hire a vendor that is going to help them get their job done and do it in this most simple way and it doesn't have to be the most affordable way but it does have to appear to be the highest probability of success with the lowest probability of risk of failure so that's that's our first job is to educate the market right and so we have to define ourselves and we have to put ourselves in the context of, of the problems we solve, the solutions to jobs to be done that we offer. Mm -hmm. That's first. The, the second is we have to be a partner with sales. Like we are, we are educating the market and bringing in leads, but we are also surrounding companies with a message about how we can help them. And so when, when we identify an opportunity, whether that is a, um, a, a marketing qualified lead that we pass to sales or if it's an intent signal from an ABM system that we pass to sales, we need to give them the highest probability of converting that into a, a real deal. And so that is marketing that is scripting the follow-up. It's saying, this is the account I targeted. This is the message that they responded to. This is the likely problem they have. And this is the best way to engage with them on how to solve that problem and put all of that into the hands of sales. We don't want sales to have to think about all of that and then guess mm -hmm. about what message to deliver back to the interested company. We want to put that right in front of them and make it easy for them to follow up and then follow up persistently, not just with one person, but to become multi-threaded, to find multiple potential stakeholders in that account and help them uh, understand how we fit into that problem space or how we offer a solution to that problem. So when we can do that with marketing, we we give sales reps superpowers, right? The sales reps go from having to do a lot of research and then still guessing and also authoring uh, their own messages. We can put that all in front of them in terms of really surgical sequences to follow up on specific leads to specific 
you know, initiatives or problems. We can give them prescribed account-based marketing plays to follow intent signals. We can give them these, these tools they've never had before to be unbelievably fast, efficient, and specific and surgical in their in their prospecting and follow-up work, which is going to maximize the conversion of marketing's investment into sales for the company. Yeah. And then there's one more thing. Uh, marketing doesn't stop at the top of the funnel, right? Like a, a lot of a lot of Forrester's 70-30 um, model is really focused on the fact that we need to do a better job in that 70% where the buyer is anonymously going through the buyer's journey. Mm -hmm. But there's more to it than that because in most purchase cycles, there's a buyer who is leading the project or maybe there's a very tight team of two or three and they're doing the research and they're looking at the vendors and they're looking for solutions. But for that purchase to go all the way through, the buying committee grows and grows and grows. And these days, research is telling us that between five to 10 or more people are involved in a purchase decision by the time the deal is done. So new people have to come in to that process. And it could be a, a security team or a CIO who has to do a assessment or an integration fit. It could be procurement that wants to understand the business case and help negotiate. It could be the, the stakeholders that have to implement or use whatever is being purchased but they come in late. They, they're not involved in that first 70%. And they're usually not involved in the first several sales meetings until the vendor landscape is whittled down to the finalists. And so marketing has to help these new members of the buying committee who are coming in very late in the game to get way up to speed and to become effective members of the buying committee so that they don't become disruptive. So they don't slow a deal down or so that they don't throw a wrench in the works and actually stop a purchase from happening just because they don't understand it. And so marketing needs a, a uh, technology where they can capture, you know, what the, what we know of the business problems, the company is trying to solve the pain of those problems and the value created by solving them. And then the, uh, you know, the product requirements or, or solution requirements, and then how it would be implemented and if marketing can capture all of that in a, a what we call a mutual action plan, but in, in a, a it could be a, an offline directory or an online uh, success plan with you know back and forth interaction with the buyer, then when the next new member of the buying committee comes on board, they can just go into this uh, into the space and they can watch the recordings of the sales meetings. They can read the business case. They can understand the scope, and then they can contribute right away. Um, if marketing doesn't help pull that together, then the next new buyer into the buyer committee could be the one that derails the deal. So all the marketing investment up front, all of the time spent handing the deal over to sales, all of the counting of marketing success at pipeline level is for naught because no deal happens at the bottom. Yeah, and I think that it, it, I'm increasingly hearing that message of the sort of the growing, growing, growing size of the buying committee. In fact, we had um, Will Brooks, who's CEO of Raconteur, on a few weeks ago, and th they've just done some research and they found that 53% of purchase decisions or deals, whatever we want to call them, now involve more than 10 people, which is, you know, it's crazy when you consider all of those different competing interests and demands that um, are going to happen there. Now, I think it's actually if, really I, if I could just yeah. jump in on that, um, mm -hmm. like the what what 
marketers have gone through these phases of maturity, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a decade ago, marketers would have surfaced marketing qualified leads, thrown them over the wall to sales and, and said, our job here is done and move on. Five years ago, marketing would see that MQL through conversion to a, a, a first meeting or a first a stage in a sales cycle opportunity. And then they'd say, our job here is done and they would move on. Mm. But, but we're in a new era now. And in this era, marketers can't do that. There, there's no more declare success, I've passed the baton to sales and I'm ready to move on now. Marketers now need to think about how do I help convert a opportunity into a real qualified sales cycle? And how do I help that sales cycle stay on track to closed one? So, so marketers that used to measure at MQL and maybe now are measuring a pipeline, they need to send that measurement even further into the sales cycle and say, what am I doing today to help a deal progress? And what am I doing today to help increase a win rate mm. or shorten a sales cycle or help the seller you know, maximize the value of the deal? If marketers aren't thinking about that, then they're, they're just they're not really being a true partner to the rest of the go-to-market org. Uh, absolutely. And I think that I'm in complete agreement with you there, certainly in terms of how that has to be a hand-in-hand -hand process. And a, a marketer's job actually should never be done, because if we think about a sort of the idea of a renewal loop, um, it then starts to become into retention and renewal. So th th there has to be that continual sort of effort. But what I'm interested in is, given that we do now have um, multiple different people that are involved within a buying decision, and as I was sort of saying, invariably they will have multiple different interests um and and needs within that what practical advice would you be able to give marketers in terms of mapping what that overall sort of decision matrix um looks like identifying who's important and who's not and what sort of content or messaging they can develop to meet some of these competing um needs that occur yeah well I, marketing uh it, really good product marketing is is focused on a persona by persona by persona basis inside their target organizations and so there's there is the top line uh problem uh solution outcome message for a senior leader who is is maybe the budget owner and is maybe the the final uh decision maker on a purchase but after that inside the buying committee there are uh, the day-to-day -day owners of the problem they are leading like they're putting they're, they're taking the risk of making this purchase if they make a successful purchase it advances their career if they're making a purchase that becomes regrettable it's a setback and so they 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 have to be convinced that they truly understand their own problem they want to know that they're following a best practice or or a common practice that will reduce the risk of failure and increase the risk of a, a possible outcome and then you have other buyers that that need to make sure that the what the product um what the product does fits inside that organization that it, it fits from a it or security standpoint or that it fits it's implementable and usable it will be adopted and it will deliver the long-term result. And so we need to build our messaging in, uh, at a persona level to address the, a, the inner anxiety, the elephant in the room. Like if you're meeting with them, it's the things that they don't say, but they're thinking about how does this either help me uh, lower my risk, increase my risk, not help me, mm -hmm. and address not just the, the, 
the logical uh, substance of what they're trying to buy, but address the, the fact that they have to own it long after the sales rep is gone. Um, they, they are, they, they are on, on point to implement it, support all of the users of it um, and, and see it all the way through to success. And so if we can market to the, the anxiety that they carry mm -hmm. into the room, but they don't articulate and help them understand how we can be a, a true partner in the sense of actually delivering, actually adding value, actually gaining adoption or, or use of the product, then we, uh, we have a much more successful sales cycle. If we, again, if we go in from a product marketing standpoint and say, uh, uh, fastest, deepest, biggest, best, uh, but all of the, all of the um, you know, get it to work is on the shoulders of the buyer, we don't win. And, uh, and that is, that's true from the initial you know, phase of the, of the buying cycle all the way through to getting the entire buying committee on board with the decision all the way through post-sale, helping the organization be successful. And what I really like there is that I think you acknowledge the importance of understanding the more rational drivers, the, the logical considerations, but also to try and conceptualize that audience from a more an emotional perspective. You talked around sort of the anxiety, and if you can understand what some of those drivers are as well, your messaging is all the more powerful. But just on a very sort of a, a practical level, if we are talking about, you know, maybe 10 different parties being involved in that decision, do you think that um, as a marketer, you need to get as granular to develop 10 different personas? Or is it still possible just to sort of concentrate on the top tier and neglect those? Or actually nowadays, unless you're covering everybody, you're covering nobody? I really do think you need to, you need to know who the likely stakeholders are. Mm. Um, and, and if you have 10 distinct stakeholders in a purchase, my guess is that that's a pretty meaty purchase and it's definitely worth marketing's while to have 10 personas and for each persona have a content strategy. So you mm. need to, uh, understand what drives that persona, what role do they play in the purchase process? Are they the champion, which means they need to understand the benefits and outcomes, but not the details. Are they the 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 daily user, uh, which means they need to understand how it works, but not why to buy it? Are they a supporter administrator? So they they want to get into the weeds of how much work is this adding to my world? Uh, are they a a financial stakeholder that is betting on this to improve efficiency or have a return on investment that you can see in a spreadsheet? These are all layers of of needs and concerns, and they all have a different. Uh, type of, of information or data or story or narrative to help them understand the purchase. If if marketing supports the, the ultimate decision maker or the champion and doesn't address the needs of the administrator, the, the administrator now has a seat at the table. They may come into the buying committee late uh, and, and be asked to like validate that this will work, but they can spike it. They can absolutely derail a purchase if it's going to add an enormous amount of work in their world that is is not planned for, or if there's just a great uncertainty about whether this will work or not, or whether it will be adopted or not. If end users show up at the table and say, I know you think that this is great, but we'll never use this. Like the well, you can you can train us until uh you're blue in the face, but the you know, no more than 10% of my team will adopt. If the users say that, then the deal is going to get stalled or derailed. And so you you do now that now that 
everybody has a voice and, and anybody can slow a deal down or stall it or shift it to a competitor. You do have to understand who's at the table. You have to have a story for them that helps them see where they sit, the value that they earn and, and address the, if they have a negative sentiment or if they have pent up anxiety, address the, even the things that they're not articulating or not verbalizing about what it means to them in their day to day work life after this purchase is made and it, you know it's it's time to use it. I, I've, I'm I'm glad that you've gone to that level of detail. I think it's actually very helpful because I think that obviously what you're describing gets gets the results. But I think actually what people need to take out from this is that there are no shortcuts. There's no substitute for hard work. Sometimes that if you do want to get those results, you've got to invest the resources in understanding what that customer journey looks like. You've got to invest the resources in understanding the people that are in, involved in that. But if you do it, you get the results. It's worth, it's worth doing that. So my penultimate question that um, I'd like to ask you, I mean, we've, we've talked about how it's evolved um, over the past few years. And I think that implicitly that gives a bit of an indication of, of the future, but I'm interested from your perspective, what does the B2B customer journey or you know purchase decision look like um, you know, three, five years time? Are we going to get more and more automated, more and more independent? Or do you think there might be a sort of an equilibrium that's reached? I think the I think there becomes multiple B2B buyers' journeys. I think as as time goes by, a lot of organizations are seeing the success of product-led growth, uh, of free trials of of Providing a pro if it's a if it's a product that can be used without a sales cycle or without a uh, an implementation, providing that to customers and allowing them to experience the value and and be able to calculate you know, what it means to them on their own and and then and then make a strategic purchase decision. I think that product led growth motion will be around. Uh, you know, it was um, it was it was pioneered back in the, the the first free trial uh, days, you know, probably seven to 10 years ago, uh, product-led growth became a, a very mainstream go-to-market model in the last couple of years. And as we are selling more to more to these, uh, um, uh, you know, more digitally comfortable buyers, it just becomes more common. But not everything lends itself to that. And so I think that the in the next three to five years, the, the B2B buying cycle uh, is uh, is going to have um, suppliers or, or or sellers have a lot more information available digitally to help the customers understand and configure solutions uh, online and then go through a purchase cycle. And so it'll be uh, content, it will be uh, video walkthroughs, it will be tutorials, but it it will it will be substantive solution oriented resources that help customers understand how to solve their problems and how to solve it with that product right and so it's really marrying what 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 we think of as best practices today we we might mm. go to a um a, a consultancy and say what are the what are the the best practices for solving this problem or what are the best practices for accomplishing this job and then the consultancy will give us a, a blueprint and then point us towards three or four or five vendors that could possibly do that for us. And it's these multi-step um, decision trees in order to get to a purchase. I think that gets fused with B2B sellers in the next three to five years so that the, the 
uh, advice on the best practice and the how-to guides for how to solve that problem, just you know, in general, but also specifically with that company's product, it, that becomes the marketing resources so that someone who's in a buying cycle can figure out how to get all like 85% of the way through the buying cycle. Not only do they understand their problem and how hundreds of other companies like them have solved that mm. problem and the options for solving that problem, but how to solve that problem with various vendors and what the outcome looks like. If if companies can provide all of that, then it, it's easier to buy. Uh, it's more efficient to for a seller to qualify an opportunity and it's easier to go through a sales cycle because you you um, you eliminate a lot of the uncertainty about does this purchase make sense for me and the buyer seller interactions become much more about how do I make this work in my environment so it's yeah. a win 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 if we can get there it's just going to be a big lift for B two B marketers to put those stories together and and deliver them online yeah. I think it's it's going to be fascinating I think you said there it's going to be a big lift for B two B marketing I think also what's going to be very very interesting is what does this potential disintermediation of traditional um, B2B sales look like? But um, yeah, we all, I think we all await as a very, very keen interest in that. Now, before you go, um, it would be absolutely remiss of me not to ask you um, something which we certainly hold close to our heart. Um, and this is um, the idea that B2B marketing needs to be a bit more of a visceral experience. You know, we need we want to see a little bit of emotion in um, marketing as well as the the rational that we spoke about earlier. So when was the last time that you saw marketing? It could be a piece of comms, could be a post, could be an advert that made you feel it in your guts that you had that sort of deep emotional reaction to. Something very recently that they hit me like a hammer or a sledgehammer. Uh, was uh, at the at the end of the year, uh, reading all of the predictions, articles, and blog posts, and LinkedIn posts about what the what twenty twenty three held for marketers and, and sellers, and uh, and there was this one recurring theme uh, that was essentially you could boil it down to: don't worry about AI generated content and AI. Uh, deep search results. Don't mm. worry about things like OpenAI and Chat uh, GTP. Um, that's that's not going to be a thing. Like we're going to go you know, keep going on and, and doing what you've always done. Um, when when that many people from that many points of view are all writing about the same topic and saying don't worry about it, um, very obviously we need to worry about it. It was to me uh, that was a huge punch in the gut. The uh, amount of amount of people that are concerned, um, which means they are trying to deflect and blow off the impact, um, and the, the the perspectives they're coming from uh, is is actually fairly remarkable. And so, when you have SEO vendors saying, "Don't worry about it," like like you know, keep churning out your content. When you have SEM vendors that are saying, you know, uh, keep paying for paid search, like the you know, this search model is is the, the only way. Uh, when you have content creators that are are still churning out expensive content but fairly generic, and they're all saying look the other way, well then then you definitely look this way. So um, there there isn't a campaign, there isn't an ad for this this generative content capability. But oh boy, like um, uh, this is big, and uh, and so it'll be really interesting, I think, to see how 
uh, the year plays out. I I think that 2023 is going to be the year where marketing wakes up that says this is a profound change for us and we need to begin to incorporate this in our plans. Yeah, I think that's a, a fascinating prediction. I I remain optimistic that, you know, I, I'm very, very confident and I've seen the evidence of how powerful some of that um, AI generation can be. But at the same time, I think that the there is still very, very strong place for the curation of um, content and also um, ingenuity in terms of the input that you're putting to the AI to get the sort of the generation. So I remain optimistic, but I think you're absolutely right um, where the market is going to probably look very, very different in 12, 18 months time. Um, I think it probably is that sort of time frame that, that we're um, operating in. Um, but look, Melton, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I said at the beginning, I thought it'd be a steep learning curve. It certainly has but in all the positive ways i think um i mean look there were lots of things that i could sort of reflect on as you know being um important during our conversation but if i was to think about sort of some overarching theme actually funny enough the first one is around um diligence and you spoke about how you know marketing unless they actually think about you know new players coming in late in the day and unless they've actually got all of the relevant content together and all of the backstory there at their fingertips then they'll have wasted all of that investment unless they show that sort of diligence that is necessary to think about everybody that's involved in that purchase decision and make sure that they are creating messaging and content which corresponds to their needs again it's going to fall down so I said big message there I think is just marketers you can't shy away from hard work sometimes but you do it and you will reap the results and the second one which we talked about earlier in there is is the importance of that collaboration between sales and marketing I know that that is something that you know people do talk about but there would be a temptation when you have you know such powerful intent data like you were describing just to sort of hand it over and sales just go and keep knocking keep knocking keep knocking on that door but the reality is the door will stay closed unless marketing are also collaborating very effectively there so as i said an absolute pleasure um thank you very much and um yeah thank you everybody for tuning in b2b marketing the provocative truth is brought to you by allen agency find out more, head to allen-agency.com. You can stream B2B Marketing The Provocative Truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. And don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.